Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, it's Doc Huffpower. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Dear Doc Podcast. Uh, as always, we are here to bring in experts to answer your burning questions about dentistry and running a dental practice. Now today, we're thrilled to have somebody here who's going to be beginning what's probably going to be a three-part series, and um, they will probably become a long-term guest of the show, and that, of course, is Dr. Joe Mayo. Joe, how are you doing this morning? I see you've got your coffee, uh, coffee kicking. Yeah, you know, this is got a little morning green tea right here, you know. Green the, uh, the tea, well, I guess there's, I not drink. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no Irish whiskey in there then, is what you're saying. You know, I mean, uh, may, it's, you know, maybe here in an hour, we might be slipping something in there. It depends how this conversation goes, but we can certainly do Ooh, something. I hope it doesn't go that badly. Or, or perhaps no, I, it goes I'm, that I'm well. Saying, I'm saying to celebrate. I'm saying to celebrate. I'm taking the positive route there. Well, that, that works, and it? it works. Yeah, so, Joe, I, would, um, I would drink friends, so we're good. So talk to me a little bit. Um, you came on today uh, because you are going to be doing a, um, something a little bit different than we've ever done. And that is basically we're going to be having some, um, some lessons. Uh, it, it's not going to be just addressing member questions. This is kind of part and parcel to most of the questions that we have about the, the financial reports that you can run in a practice or techniques for uh, taking your data and, and turning them into actionable items. So I, I'm really excited about this myself. I can't wait to hear some of your, um, some of your techniques you use because you actually grew from, you know, one practice to eight practices. You scaled that quite massively. And so I'm, I'm sure you've learned quite a few lessons along the way. So yeah, talk no. just a little bit about that journey. Just keep it short because remember they did have they did have an interview with you previous, so they, they know a little bit about you. But talk to us a little bit about where you went from one to eight practices and how you did that. Yeah. So so and and thanks, Doc. Um, you know the tough thing about our industry is it it is a service industry, and any time that you're trying to scale a service industry or anything, you're you're literally trying to scale people, um, which right. is you know damn near impossible, if if not completely impossible. And so you have to have enough systems in your business. You have enough, have enough uh, um, order and structure to be able to say, okay, this is what we want to replicate. This is what we um, want to take to the next level that everybody can follow. Because again, you know, one doctor may have this set of skills. This doctor may have that set of skills. And we, we found that very prevalent throughout all of our practices. Um, you know, we had our bread and butter dentistry. We had our implant doctors. We had our surgical doctors. We had our endodontic guys. And these, these are all general dentists. Uh, right. that just like specific areas. And so, you know, the things that we try to keep simple and, 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 and I'm a, I'm a very simple guy. I'm, I want to be able to break things down to a very basic level that, you know, even the lowest level person can be able to operate. And so it's like, okay, how do I take what's very complicated and make it simple so we can understand those systems. Right. And I'm a, I'm a very logical person, um, as irrational as business will make all of us. Uh, I try to get back to, okay, if I'm going to make a decision, I want the data to support it. So we, we had a thing across our offices that look, we're not going to make any decisions without data. So, you know, it's, we, we called it 3d. We wanted to look at our practice in a whole new level. And, and that was, you know, data driven decisions. How do we take, what we know from a numerical standpoint and actually create 
discernible action. Because the thing right. is, 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 is when you're actually getting data, when you're actually getting that information, um, uh, you know, from whatever source you're getting it from, that's great. But we, we tend to like overanalyze the numbers. We tend to like look at it and be like, okay, well, that's great. It means this, that great. It means this. I, frankly, I, think, I don't care. I just want to know how to move the dial. <laughs> I, I think you that know? we, we tend to use data to support our preconceived notions. Is exactly. Yeah. You, I mean, it's, and that's the thing. It's, it's kind of a scientific theory. Okay. If we do this, will it move there? And then if we right. see it move, then it's there. So, you know, you have your daily metrics, you have all of the, you know, immediate indicators like, okay, Hey, I had this much case acceptance today. I had this much production today. I had, uh, you know, this many new patients today. And I think one of the things that we don't really understand and we probably leave for, um, you know, our CPAs out there or things like that is we don't really pay attention to our lagging indicators. Okay. And, and what I mean by lagging indicators and, you know, you and I had a, a little bit of talk and, you know, for those people that, that are watching, um, you know, I, by no means do I mean to uh, come across as, you know, belittling or demeaning or anything. I, I want to break it down on a very basic level so we all understand it. Um, because business can be very simple. And I think uh, from some of the information that I'll be able to provide here today, it'll be very worthwhile, uh, you know, to, to, to listen to here because all of our lagging indicators, which, which, which I call lagging indicators, your P&L, balance sheet, uh, cash flow statements, these things that are the result of your day-to-day -day operations that may have been going on for some time. So, you know, you, you may have had lack of production or maybe lack of new patients that eventually lead to a diminishing return or something bad on your P&L or something, let's say. Right. Usually, usually that's a problem, problem or a good thing that's been festering or happening for a long time. And you'll, you'll see the result from that. And so what I wanted to do here with you today, Doc, that I thought would be really valuable for everybody is... I wanted to show what we've done with several of our practices. Um, I wanted to show three separate practices, um, just, just some basic financial metrics. And, and by no means am I a CPA, I'm not giving any tax advice. Uh, a lot of this information that was given to me, uh, you know, to, to be frankly candid, was actually given from my CPA. He had 75 dental clients, uh, probably with those 75 dental clients, it was close to 150 different offices. Um, you know, we were eight of them. We, we were his largest single clinic. Um, but just, you know, trends that he'd seen in the industry, it was also from other, you know, I'm going to put this in quotations, but consultants, um, you know, people that uh, had done other studies and things like that of, of where things should fall into line. And then what I did is I took, I extrapolated that information and I took it for what worked for us. You know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, a cookie cutter type thing. This, this stuff worked for us. Um, I think it'll give a good guideline and range of where people should be paying attention to in their practices. Um, what, you know, I have one practice, uh, let's see, actually three separate practices in here. The, the first practice is an eight operatory practice. Uh, the second, uh, second practice is a four operatory practice. And the third one was a six operatory. And so, uh, we started gearing our model more towards the eight to 10 operatory uh, practice um, just because, 
I found them more profitable than, than the four right. operatory. You know, I mean, you're, you're literally doubling the clinic size. And so where, where did you um, find the, did you find that that was the sweet point in scaling your, um, your core functions? And by that, I mean, your front desk, your insurance coordinator, uh, those, mm-hmm. those functions that can be stretched a little bit with more doctors. Is, is that about the eight to 10 chair? Is that about what you Yeah, call? that that's kind of, that's, that personally worked for me. Um, you know, there's right. people that have the 15 operatory. I, th- I think once you get above the 12 operatory, it, it becomes, uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're having to centralize a lot of things. It becomes very, very large in, in those right. areas. Um, you know, 10 operatory is just the right spot. I fe- I feel that like when we have the four operatory model or, you know, f- you know, maybe in five, we're, it seems like we always have one too many people, but one too few of people. I know exactly what you're talking about. My wife and I had that discussion yesterday. Whenever you reach mm-hmm. that size, there, there's a certain size of critical mass where you either have to go down or up. And the reason yeah. is you have to hire extraneous personnel to make sure you have a spare at all times. But there's a certain point at which you can't afford yeah. to do that. And yeah, that's yeah. that, you know, that, that three to four chair office, I think. Yeah, it, and, and it definitely, you know, I'm not saying not to do a three to four chair. I mean, there, it certainly can work, but I would also encourage people, you always want to be like one person underemployed, one person short, because tell you what, if you, if you have that extra person, people are just going to find crap to make up anyway. They're, they're going to be doing the things that, uh, that you don't want them to do. Uh, if you're not clearly articulating what it is that, uh, that they're supposed to be doing on a daily basis. And so, um, I, I, I found that everywhere. I mean, I, I had, you know, even though we had our eight operatories, um, or, or excuse me, our eight practices, I had the same problems that everybody else has, you know, in, in every single office, you know, we just, just we had, more of them. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was more of it. And, and fortunately I had very good managers that I put in place that I trained, that I worked with, that I was in constant contact. Uh, look, I, I was a babysitter on a daily basis. I was, you know, I wanted to find out where to find new patients. I had staff related issues. I had spouse related issues. I had, you know, insurance related issues. E- everything that, you know, Doc, your, your audience has experienced, I guarantee you I've experienced not once, but probably 300 different times. Well, there, there is a difference though. And, and Joe, that is that you found per- certain problems were able to be systematized. And when you yes. did find those problems, you created systems and you created procedures, standing operating procedures that allowed you to make sure you could solve that same problem the same way every time. And so your mental bandwidth didn't have to be quite as wide. And so yep. I'd love to talk more about the reports that you use to get to that, to get to that point. Well, and that, and that's what I love about, you know, what, what you do, doc. I mean, there, there's so many people that want to talk about the problem and, and I would tell, and I would tell my team, look, you can bring me a problem all day long, but you better bring me five solutions with it. Absolutely. You know, it, it doesn't do any good to get on these Facebook groups or anything like that and say, I have this problem, this problem, this problem. It's like, look guys, what, what are the actual real implementable solutions that, w- that we can have? And so that's, that's kind of why, you know, I started being a little bit more active on, uh, you know, business of dentistry. Cause I wanted to be able to say like, okay, Hey, look, ha- where's some areas that, that I can help. And I, and I think, uh, you know, these reports will kind of give a good starting point for people. There's, um, there's something I, I read a long time ago. I don't remember who, who said it, but, from the minute that I met you, I knew it applied to you. And, and this is what you're talking about with these people talking about the problems, but not bringing solutions. It said, be at cause in your environment, not its effect. I like, I love it. And the most dentists, we are the effect of our environment, 
we are not at cause in the environment. And you very much have taken the reins of the, the reality of your practices, of the culture of your practices, <coughs> and its, its practicality of management. You've developed systems and you've guided it. You have been at cause. So today- well, that, Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say today we're gonna to really cover how you got there. Uh, one day I would actually like to, to cover ground with you on extrapolating the things you saw that made you realize you had to backtrack and look for the cause of the issues to develop yeah, yeah. These, these solutions. But I'd really like for you to dig down today, if, if, you, if you're able, into the reports that you used, the data that you used to be able to implement your solutions and, and, and how sure. you, your, your thought processes. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and that's, th those are all great things. I mean, cause we, we are trying to solve issues, right? We're trying, we're trying to get to the core of like, okay, how do we fix, uh, you know, how do we fix issues that we're potentially seeing on paper? How do we improve cash flow? How do we, uh, you know, reduce our overhead, all of these things. And so, you know, you know what I'll do here, doc, I'm going to, I'm going to share some things on, on a screen here, if that's okay. Do you um, just happen to have that information at hand? I, I, I happen to have that information right here at hand, Doc. So there's there's some Fantastic. there's some good stuff, and I've actually uh, I've actually already included some of this on the TBOD uh, TBOD. I got I got to get better at saying the the business of dentistry there, um, and I've already included some of that on there. And I just kind of want to expand a little bit on that as far as like what uh, what some of that information is absolutely that we should be looking at here. So okay. where where are you going to take us first, Jim? Uh, screen right. is yours, by the way. Okay, so yeah, so what I'm gonna do here, I'm gonna share my screen here, okay, and forgive me, I'm still new to the Mac, I'm still learning all this, so if we uh, run into any issues, I'll do my best here. Uh, let's uh, share my desktop here. Okay, Doc, we are sharing, I believe so, here. Um, let's see here, let's get uh, here this real fast. Boom, 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 okay. Now, Doc, you can see my screen right here, right? Absolutely. Okay, so, so we've me... got practice A. I remember whenever you posted this stuff and everyone was freaked out that you were actually sharing this information. So, but, you know, there, I, I don't know why we're so set on hiding our information. Okay. I mean, the thing is, is like none of us are doing anything revolutionary. Look, if we, if we can band together and help each other out a little bit, maybe, maybe we can actually like learn something from each other. Absolutely. And, you know, look, these, these are my financials. I, I blocked out the things that I thought might be a little bit confidential. Um, you know, it's not anything there. But look, I, my purpose in showing these things is, is I want to show you that this can really happen. I want to show people that, look, I'm not just BSing people out there. There there's certain things that I found that were effective. And, you know, I mean, we, we had a great run for about nine years. Um, and it, it was awesome. I was able to sell out. And as I told before, I mean, this was... Uh, you know, the first of many retirements uh, th that I plan to have. And I would love nothing more than for everybody to get to the point in their practice where work becomes an option and not mandatory. It's so much more pleasant then. It, it, it really is. And, and people are, we're, it, it's a great profession, but you know, why do we have so much burnout? I mean, we have so many issues because we're slaves to our practices. I mean, it, you know, people are like, oh, I want to, I want to own my own business because I don't want to be my own boss. Well, your practice is your boss, you know, for the majority of people. So what, whether it's a person or your practice, I mean, you want to be able to leave your practice and have it still making money or get, get an understanding of how it can continue to make you money while you're not drilling on teeth. 
Absolutely. So, it's the difference between owning a business and owning a job, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, and to me, I, I never wanted a glorified job. I wanted a business. I wanted this thing to, to make money how it's supposed to. And, you know, as, as I show these, these things here, there's, there, there's a lot of, a lot of insight that we'll certainly get into um, just to kind of give some context behind what we're looking at. So, so the uh, listeners uh, know the, the average Utah dental practice does about 550 to 600,000 a year. Okay. I think the national average last time I saw it, if I'm not mistaken, was probably around 750. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've come across those numbers, doc. Um, yeah, just about 750 to 800,000. Yeah. And so, but look, I, I always found it interesting that people would come and tell me, Oh, I've got this million dollar practice. And I'm like, great. You know, like how much of that did you take home? You know, Oh, I, it was a million dollar practice. You know, we took it up to 1.5 million and I'm like, great. You know, what, what was the, how much did you bring home? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, their profitability was like a hundred thousand. I'm like, you know, wouldn't it be better just to have like a $300,000 practice that took home 150,000 maybe like yep. just, just the less headache. Cause well, it's, it's just the forest and trees, right? They forget what the actual end goal is. And the end goal of a business is to make money, not to make busy. That's yeah. That's a, and that's the thing, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I've, I've been at places in my career where I'm like, okay, we got to drive the top line. We got to drive the top line and cash flow gets sucked. And so it's like, okay, what do I, what do I actually want to do with this? You know, this, mm-hmm. are, are all these extra headaches worth it? And you know, there, there's all of those things. So, so this, this first practice that, that I wanted to look at here, um, there, there's a lot of interesting things that I wanted to point out. And, you know, for, for the listeners, this may be a very complicated uh, P&L. This, this is the first thing that I'm going to show. It's just your, your standard basic profit loss of a couple different practices. The things that I would look for, the things that alerted me, and, you know, areas that where I needed to make the adjustments. And so, um, you know, this, w- this was from a 12-month span uh, of a practice, uh, just January to, to the end of December. Um, and there were certain things that I, I, I would look at P&Ls after the 10th of every month is what I do. I, I would meet with my accountant uh, probably twice a month. Um, and that, that was just the personal thing that I had because we had so many uh, different things running together. I would encourage everybody to at least talk to their CPA at least once a month. Um, just to get these reports and be able to make the calls. Hopefully they have a dental CPA. The, the, the guy that I used was uh, Robert Salmon uh, from Salmon Advisory. He was here in Utah. Um, so if people are looking for good CPAs. Uh, I, I don't know how much other practices he's taking on or anything, but there are several good CPAs out there um, that, that do a great job um, because at the end of the day, it's we're looking at income versus expenses. Okay. Taxes I mean, are an expense. What, say that again. And taxes are an expense. Minimize your expenses. Maximize. Yeah. Your- how, how do we, how do we increase the profitability of our practice and how do we, you know, pay as few taxes on it as possible? I mean, that's, that's another 10 hour podcast you and I can talk about for sure, but. Absolutely. Um, Honestly, yeah. the only, the only issue when you and I talk is we tend to keep talking we, we ought to get yeah. like someone with a little stopwatch. That's why we're breaking this up into three parts, by the way. That way we can yeah. have some natural ends and we can start on the next one because I know us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and, that, and that's the thing. I, I want to provide a, a, you know, as much value as I can for, for the Absolutely, people man. here. So, so let, let's take a look at this first practice. So, um, and Doc, stop me anywhere. Any questions you may have or anything? I've, I've already <laughs> spotted something that I do that I'm loving that you do. I break out my implant and I also break out my orthodontics because I want to know oh. what percentage of expenses those are versus what percentage of production and what percentage yeah. of, uh, actual profit 
they bring in. Yeah. I, I notice a lot yeah. of people don't do that. And mm -hmm. if you don't have a dental CPA, I know that's one of the things that doesn't get done. And that's important. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, okay. So first thing here is this was one doctor and we had another doctor that would jump in uh, maybe once a week, maybe, maybe three times a month kind of thing. And so this was one doctor that was doing very well here in Utah, you know, top line revenue, just over $2 million. Okay. I'm now, fine. one thing that stood out to me immediately when I looked at this was the patient refunds. I mean, 22,000 in refunds is significant. Um, mm -hmm. That was actually a quality control thing where we found out because it all, all the PL does doc is it literally makes you ask more questions. Why is it doing this? Because there's, there's 15,000 ways, the reasons why things can work there. So it's right. not to get upset at things. It's not to be like, Oh, we're kicking butt. It's how did, how are we kicking butt or what's going on with that? Why is it? What's, what's working? What's not working? It, it's kind of, to me, it's like a short history report. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where, where have we been? Because it's not where we're going unless you keep doing the same thing. Yep. Yep, exactly. So this one right here, this, this chargeback, this was actually a lab-related issue. I, I thought that this patient refund was more of a doctor-related issue. What ended up happening here is there was two specific, um, you know, bridge retained or implant retained bridges on, on some patients that uh, the, the actual lab themselves, they had a problem with their milling machine um, and it ended up breaking it down. But we end up the we unfortunately in this particular year, just like everybody else, we had, we had some issues um, where the patient didn't want to come back to the practice. And so unfortunately we had to refund that. And so that's what happened this year. Sometimes look, people pay for a product. They expect a result, you know, give them a result, you know, and especially if it's a mistake that, you know, either the vendors that you're working with or you make the mistake own it your community deserves it, your patients deserve it, write the check and go back. And, that, and that's literally what happened in this particular case. And so, you know, was I concerned about it? Well, I didn't want it to happen again because, you know, 22,000 is no joke. But at the you know, end of the line, if I'm giving back 1% of the money, you know, am I okay? Yeah, I'd prefer not to, maybe, maybe a 0.3% or something, but uh, it, it happens. So, so that was the first thing. So our, our, end, our end revenue there, um, there was a couple of return checks through there. Our end revenue, 1.973 right there. Okay. So as we scroll down here, the first thing on the expense categories that I, that I would put out through here is the direct costs. Okay. Direct costs being your, your dental supplies, implant supplies, your laboratory fees. The, the good percentage to go from here is if you can keep those two combined below 13%, you're set pretty good. Okay, you're, 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 set, you're set really good. And I, I always like to have our dental supplies under a 5% budget. Now, here's a, here's a huge key that you can look at on a monthly basis, okay? What we did with our dental assistant, and for some reason as dentists, we wanna hold on to every kind of control in our practice. If you're gonna grow your business or if you're gonna do anything miraculous with in your clinic, you've gotta be able to let the reins go a little bit. Gotta learn to designate. Exactly. And so I had a specific, you know, I don't know about you. I think designation, designating PR delegation rather is almost like crack to me. Once you start, you just can't stop. Yeah. I, I, well, I enjoy finding people to do shit. So I don't have to. Exactly. And, and the, the one thing we want to make sure though, is we don't just delegate by abdication. We don't, we don't want to no, necessarily absolutely. say, okay, you're in charge of this. My hands are free. I'm done. 
That's not, that's not no what delegation means. There's no accountability means. there and there's no SOP there. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in some of our practices, you know, like when we would do that, some of the managers, as they were handing it off to an assistant, they just automatically assumed it was okay. But what we would do is we would take literally from our budget, you know, we would take the production, the collectible production from the month before, and I would take, okay, hey, you've got 5% or even 4% of this previous month's production. So, hey, you guys did 100000 last month. You've got $4,000 to be able to spend on this, on this month's supplies. Okay. Right. And we're going to, we're going to keep it in check, you know, from there. Um, you know, you did more than that then, Hey, we, and, and obviously it's very dependent, but you don't want a bunch of inventory just sitting on your, on your wall. It, it doesn't do anybody any good. You got to put it to work. Absolutely. You, you are not Walmart. There's no reason for you to be a warehouse. No, exactly. And so, so as you can see right here, uh, our assistants did a, a fantastic job of kind of keeping that line. It was just at 4.2. Um, Implant supplies, I break that out a little bit more because those can be uh, a little bit more expensive than falling into that 5% category. I, I like them to be able to fall into that 5% category, um, you know, within the, the full dental supplies. But I, I also want to see how much we're actually spending uh, through here there, you know. Uh, at the same time, too, our laboratory fees, uh, you know, if, if we can keep dental supplies, implant supplies right around 6% and the lab under 7%, you know, to get to that 13, I'm great. So, you know, combined together there, we are at 12.14. I had no problem with that. It's boom, time to move on. Now, if I saw the lab fees going up a really high through here, you know, I look at our doctors, what are they ordering? Are they ordering a custom tray for anything? Right. Um, are our labs billing us for things they shouldn't be billing us for? Are they, um, you know, giving us the right material that we ordered. I mean, I, I there was times when, uh, you know, I would order a, a, an Emacs type crown and, uh, or, or excuse me, like I, I would order like a Bruxer and then they would send me an Emacs, you know, and it's like $15 more. So right. it's, these are things that you have to be checking all the time. But, but I think the problem, Doc, that we don't do is we don't ask enough good questions. We, we, we want to hurry and solve the problem. And, I, and I'm all about like solving the problem, but why don't we start asking the right questions, okay? And, and, and so I think that's one of the things I want you to want you to address. So what are those questions? Um, remember we talked about, it's not just the data, it's the questions you ask about the data. So what are the questions yeah. that you ask? Where, where is your mind going? If you see a, you know, a 25% increase on your lab fees. So if I see a 20, well, number one, the, the obvious <laughs> question is why, right? Like what the hell just happened there? Did we actually do that many more cases that warranted that? Now, I don't know if everyone saw you get as white as I got. I saw you, but it, like yeah. the blood drained from your face whenever I said 25% increase. Yeah, it goes up 25%. Basically what that means is we just did a, a shit ton of lab work for free is what that's, is what's really happening probably there. You know, you, it doesn't do you any good to incur the expense of a lab fee and not collect the money from the patient, you right. know? And so I, oh, this, are, are you in the banking business or are you in the dental business? the dental service business. And, and if you want to be in the banking business, fine, collect some interest from your patients. You know, don't, uh, um, you know, stop giving your work away for free. I mean, if you value what you do, get compensated for it. I agree. Um, and, and again, that's another topic. So, so I digress through there, but you know, you've got to look at trends. So is it specific to like, is this like an outlier? Did this just happen like in one specific month? And, and if it happened in that one specific month, why? Uh, did the, did the lab send you a bunch of cases that and here's, here's one thing that happened in ours. We had eight, eight practices. 
I had a lab send like four extra cases to another practice. And in that four extra cases, one of them wasn't even part of our business. And so he sent, he sent us a bill for like another place. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. What happened, you know, through there. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it got caught, but at the same time, it's like, are we paying attention to these outliers? Are these things happening? Because you you have to, right? So, um, you know, same goes with dental supplies. If if you see your, your dental supplies like spike up, I mean, I had Henry Schein that decided to give us one time like an extra $6,000 order that no one ever even sent. I don't, I don't know how it happened. I couldn't explain it to this day. But had I actually not had my systems in place and they were just on autopilot and auto credit cards and things like that, that, that number would have jumped up. And Obviously, so, somebody needed to hit their target for commissions. Right. I mean, it, it could have been that. Yeah, we, we had a pretty good talk. There, there was a pretty good talk. Imagine but, it was. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what, though? At the same time, I've also had employees that overspent their budget significantly. And, you know, that, that took about one conversation in our organization because nobody's going to care as much about your money as you do, even your CPA. Everybody's going to be okay to spend your money. But one conversation I had with an, an assistant was, was simply this. I said, okay, you can spend everything up to your budget. If you spend a dollar more, it comes out of your paycheck. Are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. Well no, well, no, I'm not okay with that. Okay, but why are you okay with spending my money? Right. Because I'm putting you in charge of this. I've trusted you to do this. You know, is there something that I'm not making clear? You have $5,000 to spend. If you need to buy more, which happens, sometimes mm-hmm. we need to, you know, maybe we need some extra gloves or something happened. Maybe, maybe we, uh, you know, spilled a bunch of, uh, you know, matrix bands all over the floor and we have to order a new system. Some, I mean, things like that happen. Yeah. Those, those moments just make my butt pucker. Yeah. They, they, they really do. They, they do for all of us. And so my, my thing was spend up to what you need to at the 5,000. If you need to spend over that, then come talk to me and we'll discuss why. Okay. So that didn't happen very often. That, that, that didn't happen. I had one girl that uh, decided to spend her budget over three months. And honestly, it was the first time it was, okay, hey, you know what? I'll take ownership. It was probably my fault. Maybe I didn't make myself clear enough as far as what my expectations were. This is what I actually need you to do. And this is what your budget is. Next month, she spent past it again. I said, hey, you know what? Like, I'm sorry. Maybe I didn't make myself clear the second time. Or maybe you're just not understanding. Where, where am I missing communicating this with you? Mm-hmm. And, 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 I let, and I let her answer it and she didn't have an answer for it. And I said, okay, so you fully understand that you have to stay within these boundaries. Don't go outside that anymore. She chose to the next month. And honestly, I, I just let her go. I, it's not that I took the job away from her. It's just, there, there's certain things well, that she took the job away from her. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and I documented it every time, you know, you, right. you document it every time. And so, um, so you want to pay attention, you know, coming back to this P and L here, you got to pay attention to those numbers and staff management's a whole nother thing, but let, let, let's come back to That's another eight hour podcast. Oh, it really is. It, it really is. So, so let, let's come back to the, this P and L here. So, you know, keeping that in with 13%. Okay. Then you come down to staff. Okay. Now staff, this, this clinic was extremely, extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. Okay. Total staff, 17.53%. Okay. I am great if that staff is 
22% or less. Um, I even, even for the right staff, for the right team member that you have to pay that's maybe doing some additional duties uh, outside of clinical work. I mean, if you can keep it under 25%, you're probably sitting pretty good, but ideally 22% or less. Okay, that's, that's, that's looking pretty good. Now that includes everything, okay? Now I, here in my PNL, I broke it out actually by positions. I have assistants, temp assistants, hygienists, temp hygienists, employee benefits, uniforms, workman compensation, healthcare, everything is broken out. I wanna see all of those things, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and again, bottom line I'm looking at, the 17.53%, if that's under the 22, boom, we're good to go. Now again, P&Ls, you want to look at them monthly, but ideally you're kind of looking over a quarter. You know, you're looking over a quarter, you're looking over a six month basis, you're looking over an annualized. But the thing is, is you have to look at them monthly so you can either keep the pressure on or make the change necessary. I think a lot of people get their. I have a question here before we go on from, from employees. Um, I see that you have a category for new hire, and um, is that based upon the amount that you spend to train a new hire or what is it based upon? Cause I, that, that's you know, a, that's that was, I've never tracked. Okay. So th this is a, again, probably another podcast that the new hire that we put in there, that was actually the money we would spend during the interviewing process. Okay. I actually, I actually would spend money during the interviewing process to see how much, um, how much I could trust people. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and so um, I would literally uh, have them go pick up lunch for us. I, I'd give them a hundred dollars or something like that and say, Hey, here, I need you to go pick up some lunch for us. I want it this specific. There was a very, very detailed way that we did hiring, um, you know, a specific way that we wanted our sandwich. I wanted to see if people would uh, follow directions. Follow directions. <laughs> I wanted to see if they were honest. I had somebody, you know, I mean, I had somebody that would bring me back the wrong change. And it's like, look, if I, I'm not going to trust you with any kind of money if you're going to bring me back the wrong change. Right. Um, and so th that's, that's what that money was, was uh, just during the new hiring process itself. Um, so again, these P&Ls are by no means meant to be, uh, you know, a one shop, all things. It's literally just, this is what worked for us. These are things that I did. And so I want to, I, I want to keep it fairly generalized for as many people as we can. And it's simple. Right. So, you know, Whatever so sorry, you, sorry for, sorry for, sorry for uh, getting us off no, track. No, no, no. That one, that one was intriguing to me because I haven't seen that category yet. No, and, and, and please do. Please ask because I'm sure there's a lot of numbers that pop up here that people are like, well, wait, what does that exactly do? What are, what are we trying to do? And so please, uh, you know, stop me at any point and say, okay, here. You know, bottom line, whatever you spend on your team, 22% or less, if you can keep it under that, you're going to be set pretty, pretty good there, okay? Now, it may be if, if it's higher than that, there's one of two things that are happening. Either you're paying your staff too much, which is what every dentist is going to think. Oh, my staff's getting paid too much. It's probably your ability to close a case more than anything. Yeah, I was going to say. That, yeah, that, it's, it's, that would usually be it, I would say. <laughs> but we yeah, don't want to do this. Yeah, no. Why, why would we ever look at ourselves as being the problem? Okay. We're either, you know, is it possible that we are keeping a staff member on too long that we're overpaying for the last 20 years? Yeah, it, it is possible. But Mabel at the front desk has been here for 85 years and the patients just love her. If we let her go, I just don't know what we do. You know what? And uh, there might be something a little bit to that, but I think we're giving too much credit to um, the, the worth of. Oh, careful here, Joe. 
Careful. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know, the problem is, is here's, here's the thing. I tell you what, like patience will leave you if you change certain things. Okay. And there's a lot of intangible things that you cannot uh, quantify. Um, I think, uh, you know, tenure does have a place, but like I, I'm about, does the employee bring a result? We're, we are not paying employees to do anything else other than to deliver a result for our patients and a result for the business. That's it. We're not there to be best friends. We're not there to, um, you know, do anything other than, Hey, we want to provide good dental services for our patients and our community. And let's go home and be with our families and friends and, and, you know, and having, having a good culture and having employees that you trust and, and that you like doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat. And I think no. a lot of dentists fall into that trap. They want so much to be liked by both their team members and by their patients that they make poor business decisions because they're all emotionally based. Yeah, they, 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 they really are. And so, it's, it's one of those things like what's good for the business? Because here's the thing. If you don't get these in line, if you, if you cannot take your practice and grow it and do this, like nobody's going to have a job. Absolutely. Okay. Cause you know, staffs don't get raises just because the earth turned 360 degrees. No nope. staffs, staffs get raises because they provide more value to the business. Are you, that, are you that, quoting me now, Joe? You know, it's, it's I, I haven't heard you say that, but, you know, Doc, you and I share enough same philosophies that I think uh, we probably, I, I bet we say some of the, uh, you know, very similar things. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rather be quoted by anybody else if you are. So, <laughs> let's move well, and, and, and I dragged you to a topic again. Yeah, no, you're, you're okay. You're, you're, I love it. So, okay. So, direct costs under 13%. So, your supplies labs, staff, you want under 22%. Okay. okay. Now we're going to go on to the doc sides of things. Okay. So now you can see here, we had the one doctor that would come in and do, you know, some, a little bit heavier work, you know, short time, making 116,000. The other doctor was at 278. Okay. Right. Keep him, so this, this doctor, he was also doing, you know, 200 plus thousand in his other clinics. So um, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of, of splitting doctors up. I, I don't like part-time doctors. I, I want full commitment. But th this was an individual that was working in, in a couple spaces in Apex. Uh, so, right. you know, I knew the loyalty was still there. Um, taxes, things like that. This is what I want people to pay attention to. And you can, you can see my cursor moving there, can't you, Doc? This 20% right here. Absolutely. Okay. Your doctor's wages what, um, or associate wages, if they're uh, above 20%, they're not producing enough for you. Plain and simple. That, that's what's happening. I, I see guys that th this, this is a conversation we certainly need to have at, at this point because I, I see a lot of questions on TPOD that, that has, am I saying that like fast yeah, enough and, and right enough? The BO, do you call it BOD or do you? Yeah, TBOD, BOD, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, easy. Right. I'm easy. My branding is TBOD though. TBOD. Okay. So I see a lot of questions of what do we pay associates? What, you know, what's, what's the percentage we should do it? Should we pay him 35%, 40%, 28%? Look, I, I don't care what you pay them. Okay. The end of the day, th this is the conversation I would have with our associates. I'd, we paid them a guaranteed base. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't significant. It was $8,000 a month. Okay. So, or 28% of your collections with you paying half the lab bill. Okay. 
And so the doctors would be, you know, they would come to me and they'd be like, well, 28%, you know, I, I can get 33% down the street. And I said, well, that's great. You know, 33% of zero is still zero. Right. 28%, you know, you're going to, you're, you're going to be able to make a significant amount of money. I mean, we had the average Utah dentist was probably making right around 150. Our lowest, lowest doctor was making right around, I think it was 171, 172 was, and, and, and they were, uh, you Just raise a fantastic point. I am going to pull you off topic a little bit here because it's so relevant to what you're talking about. When you have a hole in the wall practice, you should expect to pay more for an associate dentist. If you're not feeding that dentist, then you can't mm -hmm. pay a lower percentage. The busier yeah. your practice is, the more associates are worth, but the less you have, less smaller percentage you have to pay them because they're mm -hmm. going to make the money that they need to make. I mean, that, that's well, just truism, but people don't think. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing too, like, don't, don't be afraid to have your associate share in the lab. I mean, I, I've done every compensation structure possible. I've been a part of every compensation structure possible um, that's out there. Um, and look, the culture that we established in, in our practice wasn't eat what you kill. You know, it, it wasn't a cutthroat kind of like thing. It was literally just say, it's a results oriented business. And that's how, that's how every business should be. In my opinion, you, why are you owning a business if you're not wanting to get a result? You know, right. why are you hiring an associate to just sit there and take up time? And then you're paying, you know, all, all of your profits are going to it. I mean, there, there's so much that goes into managing that associate and the marketing and the accounting and the team management that comes with it, that you need to get paid as well. I mean, everybody needs to get paid. You know, I need to get, paid the doc needs to get paid the business needs to get paid that the yes. house has to get paid or else you're gonna you're gonna have a plateaued practice like who who, who wants a plateaued practice and, and if that's where you're at if you're at a plateaued practice sell sell right now because it's not it's only going to go down from there absolutely you, so you know? that that does raise a great question that goes into this section of doctor expenses many doctors pay themselves only a provider salary they don't pay themselves a ceo yep. salary and then they, they take the scrapings of whatever dividends are left on the table afterwards as their CEO portions or business owner portion. And quite yeah, often yeah. they take all of them and they don't actually have any kind of plan or structure or budget. And that's a segue into your next, your next episode sure. <laughs> uh, in order to save and improve in that practice. What would your advice to them be? And how would you use this data that you've got in front of you here to actually justify that to them so that it, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I think people have to look at it a, a couple of ways. I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking the money out of a practice to, um, you know, maybe take a, a vacation here, you know, maybe, maybe you want to buy something nice for your spouse. Uh, you know, maybe you want to do this, but I, I think the problem is, is so many people are so inclined to increase their spending habits. Right. You know, it's the uh, uh, the principle. Maybe uh, help me out here, Doc. Um, the principle that I'm thinking of where keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> yeah. Keeping up, keeping up with the Joneses. Definitely. It's a uh, um, it's one of those things like, oh, my neighbor just got that car. Right. Do I need to buy a new car? Really? Like, I, I think you're you know, your forerunner that you have outside is doing just fine right. for you. You know, <laughs> your Honda Civic that's, uh, you know, a couple years older. Do you really need to increase it? You don't, in general, find that attitude amongst people who actually have money. Um, no, you only no. find that attitude in people who have the fake it until you make it um, yep. kind of a personality. Uh, personally, uh, we, we've talked. I drive a beat-up old FJ cruiser. I love that thing. And uh -huh. it's, 
yeah. favorite vehicle of all time. Could I afford something quote nicer or different? Yeah. yeah. But it yeah. provides what I need and it's a low overhead, <laughs> right? It's already yeah. paid for. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing, your business mentality. Why are you paying for shit you don't need? Yeah. 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 My, my, uh, I've got a 2005 GMC Sierra 1500 that's sitting out there that, that I love. And, uh, you know, that gets me up and down the mountains. It gets me to, to my place and then out to the ski slopes. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you got to do that. But, you know, coming back to your point of like taking money out of the business and stuff, look, are you, are you doing this business to grow it? Are you just doing it to make a lot of money? Cause here's the thing, you can take the money out of the practice and not reinvest it into the business and you're just going to keep paying taxes on it. Right. And sure. I mean, if you want to get more money to, I, I personally like, I mean, if there's ways that we can expand the business, if, if there's operatories that I can increase, if there's other equipment. And, and that's the other thing too, is as we get down into, you know, some of these equipment and stuff, a lot of docs will go and buy fancy equipment that just becomes like a coat rack. It doesn't do any good. It, it, stop going to CE. A closet of regrets. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, you'll see like right here, the continuing education for doctors. Okay. The 1645 right. that I have right here, we would send, we would pay for the CE for our doctors. We, we would pay a thousand dollars is what we paid. Um, and they had to go to these courses, but at the same time, there was a, you know, a verbal handshake agreement between what my docs and myself is like, if you go to these CE courses, we're going to implement that. Right. Okay? It's, it, you know, I had one guy that went and took an implant course, which was great. I partially paid for, he didn't do an implant for three months. And I'm like, what, why did you go take the implant course? If you don't, you know, right. was it just so you learn like what you didn't want to do? And uh, he's like, well, I'm just a little scared. So it required a little bit more coaching. Right. Um, and so, you know, anyway, but uh, yeah, just, Stay with you if you really should. Uh, I mean, you know, it's easier said than done to stay within your means, right? You know, I mean, you right. want to, but look, if you make if you make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars one year, and then the next year you make two hundred thousand, hey, take that half that money, reinvest it half. Sure, go spend on something fun for your wife, but don't do that every single year. There's there's got to be a stopping point where you're you're comfortable and and uh, you've you've got to get to the point where enough's enough, but let's grow the business. So we're putting it off for the future to have that retirement. Okay. And I'm talking like you can get to that point within five years, nine years. I'm not, I'm not talking a 30 year, uh, you know, dream vision here. I'm talking five to 10 years. You could cash out and be just perfectly happy where you're at and, you know, have that first or second retirement. You know, it's, it's, but hey, that was my plan, buddy. There you go. I, I like it. I like it. I, I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. And uh, I think it's, you know, I think it's something. It has that to be your first retirement. It can't be your only retirement. Right. You have to have other things in the pipe. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, we, we're yeah, so done with doctors. So okay. what comes next here? Right here, we're under the facilities. Okay. Facilities we want to keep in the seven to 10% range, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, you know, we're talking about rent. We're talking about liability. We're talking about building maintenance. You know, if your building's falling apart and you're paying a bunch of, you know, crap and things like that, I, uh, this, this location, um, you know, it was, we actually owned this location. Um, what I actually ended up doing with this and, and it doesn't reflect it on this P and L I actually ended up taking a lot of these profits and putting it more to rental property. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and by doing that, I was able to lower my taxation. And what so mean if you take your profits and you put them into another business investment, you don't pay taxes well, and then you put into rentals because then you don't have to worry about paying what, what come tax? You, you, 
Yeah, right. Well, here's here's the thing. What I did is I contractually, when I saw how low our rent was going to be that year, right. I contractually wrote a rental agreement with myself to increase the rent. Rental income, you're probably paying 15% uh, income tax on that versus, you know, 37% is, yep. is what you're paying. So there's, there's got to be a taxation strategy uh, through there. Okay. Well, that, that and the avoidance of capital gains tax is amazing too, if, what you're, if, you're, if it's on the sale of something. So I, you know, exactly. I, I just recently went through some of this. So. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, you, bring us so, but here's, you know, the other thing too, is if, the, if you don't own your building and you're, and you're renting it, uh, maybe it's something you go to your landlord and be like, hey, look, you know, how do we negotiate? Maybe, maybe it's a longer term lease uh, for a lower rent, okay, right. or, or something like that to be able. So ask, ask those questions. If the building's falling apart, maybe it's time to move locations. You know, I mean, if you're spending a significant amount on repairs and, and maintenance of the building, get out of that junk hole and, you know, maybe move a half mile down the street, buy your own building and, you know, expand your office, maybe, you know, and, something through and there. in that same vein, if you're in a practice where you're renting and there's not a lot of room, because when you're renting, you know, space is at a premium, your real estate is what costs you a ton. Usually purchase yep. a small building to stick it at your house and rent it to yourself for storage of models and things like that. So you can use your yeah. actual, you know, f footprint of your office more efficiently, yeah. you know, also save some taxes on that money that you're going to be bringing home now. It, there, there's so many strategies that, that you can get into with real estate, uh, you know, from owner occupied real estate that there's a fantastic way. Um, and, and I would encourage anybody, you know, I mean, again, another, another conversation, but encourage anybody to, if, if you can own your own building, do it. It's, it's an incredible, incredible resource for not only your retirement, but just uh, an income generating taxation saving uh, area. So um, it's, it, it's great. So um so for facilities percentage here was 5.57. Where, where do you want to see that usually, Joe? Yeah, this, if you can keep that at the 7% mark or under, I mean, 7 to 10%, I'd be fine with, to be honest with you. Um, I'd, I'd like to, I always like to keep ours low. And so you can see we're a little bit lower through here. Um, but yeah, you generally, if I start getting closer to that 10% mark, I get a little, ugh, like I got to stay away from there. Okay. Right. And, and so, you know, see what's going on uh, through there. But again, that's your facilities, you're probably going to be looking more, at that trend over a three month period, you know, you're not gonna be able to control that monthly, but you know, historical averages, you're looking at it, you know, especially at the end of the year, you want to do some serious analysis of these, of these P and L's. Um, this, this next area here, doc is where I'm probably going to get a little bit different than everybody else. Okay. okay. But I'm going to explain why. And, and I would encourage anybody to take the same approach here. So, um, you can still see those percentages right there, doc, is this, uh, let me move that guy there. Okay, so advertising promotions. Okay, you'll you'll notice down here that I've got this management company. Okay, mm -hmm. I had I actually formed an outside management company. Now I actually paid myself from the individual practices through this outside management company. Now this was also a taxation strategy. This was something that I actually looked at. Uh, I learned this from Comfort Dental. Mm -hmm. um, you can actually pay yourself a management fee and get taxed differently within the practice itself. And so I specifically designed that not only to pull together all of the practices, uh, money for maybe some advertising, mm -hmm. um, you know, legal work, uh, accounting work, things like that. That's why I did the, those specific things. And so what I did is I, I just took, I took 10% uh, roughly for, you know, some of the management fees uh, mm -hmm. through there, which is what you're seeing through here. 
Um, I took some marketing fees, but essentially your marketing fees, depending on your strategy, okay? I see guys that have as low as budget as 0% up to 20%, which I think is excessive. Somewhere in that five to 10% mark is, is a good thing, depending on your strategy. I'll make one, one quibble with you there. Uh, if you're a fee-for-service practice, then your 20% might be right on the money. But yep. if you're a PPO practice, you have to remember that the discounts that you're giving patients are advertising fees. So. Yes. Yes. So no, and, and that's, that's great. And, and doc, I don't, I don't have any experience in the fee for service world. I'm, I'm glad you uh, said that because our, our practices were 98% PPO. Um, right. You know, if, if you're in a fee for service market or you're, you're fortunate enough to be there, that is fantastic. You may need to advertise a little bit more because Absolutely. you know, people do, do want to do that, which, which I think is great, you know? So, um, and it's nice not to have to deal with insurance because that, you know, you're going to up your staff mm -hmm. costs. You're going to do those things. You can make money. It's not all about roses though. The, the grass is not greener on either side. And no, I, it's, there, there's so many ways to make this happen. And, absolutely. you know, it's just, it's, it's a great thing. It's, it's more difficult to scale a fee for service business absolutely. Uh, versus the PPO business is, and, uh, you know, trying to get eight fee for service practices, you know, in one centralized location, that's going to be tough. Um, nope. You know, I'm not saying it can't be done. It's just, I just don't have the experience with if, it. If you can find the guy who can do it, I want to meet him. Yeah. Yeah. Show me, show me. Doing exactly. them too. Yeah. So, but yeah, if you can keep um, the, you know, these general overhead, things like that. I mean, anytime that I was under 20% here, that was pretty good. Um, you know, I put my software because we had a centralized, um, we had a centralized computer system. And so right. I wanted every practice contributing to that. Um, you know, I, I, my accountant, I mean, my accountant was, uh, he, he was basically a full-time employee for me. And so that's why you see that a little bit higher, right. uh, you know, through there. Um, we had it as a thousand dollars, uh, every month per practice is, is what we did. So, but th that was a little bit high, but again, the, um, I had, a, I have about 14 different businesses. Um, you know, not all of them are, are dental practices. And so I was always using my accountant for something. And so you're, you're going to see that different through there. One thing I do want to point out here, which is a really critical area, is this merchant fees. Right. Okay? This is, a, this, to be honest with you, this is a little high. It's at 2%. Okay. Your merchant fees should be at 1.8% or less. Okay. There's two things that are happening that you, that you need to ask yourself uh, through there. Okay. Um, the, the biggest thing that you want to look at is, are we using care credit too much? Are we using these high interest credit cards? So this, this was one of those practices that um, the staff wasn't as properly trained on not using care credit. Okay. Um, they, it was kind of their go-to. It was just like, Oh, we're going to do like a beer case. So you can't just pay for it. We got to get you some care credit. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the strategy that they were taking. And so we, we corrected this at the beginning of the year. This was more, this was actually like around two and a half percent. Mm -hmm. So I actually made that correction partway through the year because I saw that trend happening. And so that was just some coaching conversations through there. In addition to that, there are so many ways that you can negotiate with credit card companies and credit card processing companies that are looking to get your business. If those are too high, go talk to another company. You know, we, we use a company called CardPoint. Um, 
they were, they were great. Um, they were great for us, but we were able to get all of ours. And, and plus there's powers and numbers. If you're going to do a lot of credit card processing throughout the years, negotiate, everything is negotiable. You, you, you have to be able to do that because they're, that's a very competitive business. There are a lot of people are looking to, uh, to get your money. You, you real, rich. Real quick, on, you. <clears throat> real quick on this point. Um, you, you said earlier that it was very important to have a dental specific CPA. And a lot of people will say, no, no, that's not necessary. And, and they are right to an extent. But the reason that I would say that they should lean toward a dental specific CPA is because the dental specific CPA is going to know about things like care credit. And they're going to ask the correct questions whenever they're categorizing your books. If they don't know to ask and you don't know to tell them, well, then mm -hmm. you don't have an accurate representation of what's going on in your practice. And these numbers are only as good as the input that goes into the programs. Yeah. And, and, you know, people that have, you know, oh, my uncle's my CPA or, you know, my neighbor down the street's my CPA and he does it for like such a cheap cost and things like that. Uh, you know, there is a lot to be said. You, you get what you pay for. Um, right. And, uh, you know, here, here I had to pay my uh, CPA. I was paying him, you know, just under $80,000 a year. And again, that, I mean, the amount of, he, he would save me, geez, I mean, he would save me hundreds of thousands of dollars every I, I year. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So it's, it's, you definitely want somebody who knows the industry. You want your CPA. Here's the line. Let's, let's walk this line. Maybe, oh, maybe dip our toe in. But keep me I, out of I still agree. Right? It's actually literally the talk I have with a CPA whenever I'm interviewing them. I say, okay, so the dark side's over here and the light side's over here. And right between them, there's this gray line. And I like to tippy-toe right across there. So, yeah. Because if you don't tell them yeah. that, they're always going to err way on the safer side because they don't want to yeah. upset you and they don't want the risk. You know? Yeah. No, you, you, you want to be able to, I mean, you know, by, by all means, you want to be honest and fair and stuff, but why give the government any more money than they have to? They already, but let's not get into politics here today because you and I can have a conversation hours about that, right? The last thing I'd say about the CPA thing here, though, is that um, you want a tax strategist. You don't want a tax preparer. If your exactly. CPA is just a tax preparer, fire them. Get somebody who's yeah. a tax strategist who actually gives you the benefit of their knowledge so that you can begin planning next year and the year after. Yeah. Well, and you want to, you want to be getting, you know, meeting with your CPA, you know, I mean, on your quarterly basis at, at a minimum, just to see, you know, strategies throughout the rest of the year. How can we save in taxation area? How can we, uh, um, you know, get, you know, just, just make the business more profitable. That's, that's, that's their job. And just like you said, a tax strategist is, is a definitely great way to look at it. So so yeah, I mean, all of these areas I was looking at, you know, I mean, and as we come down through here, um, you know, your postage, you want to look at all this stuff, your office supplies. I had one girl one time. Yeah, this, uh, this postage and delivery right here. And this thing jumped up to like, it was like 3% one month. I'm like, what did you just do? And she had ordered, she had ordered like about this many rolls of postage. And I'm like, is, is that really necessary for this month? Like, like could you maybe have like a third of that and, you know. But doc, it's the forever stamps. They're going to go up. It'll save us so much money. Yeah. That's the same BS I got. So we had a conversation, but it, it worked fine. So, um, you know, as you, as you come down to here, you know, you, you keep coming down. Um, look, you, you get to your net operating income. I was ec ecstatic for this. If you, if you can get, so here, here's, here's where it's at. You know, everybody talks about, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to have a 50% take home. I'm going to have a 60%. Those take -home. days are gone. Well, it's there. There's a possible way of doing it. Now, general dentistry 
show me that you, because here's the thing, I can change this PL to look any way that you right. want, that I want it to look. It's like the old and, jokes about, joke about statistics, right? Mark yeah, Twain. 73% of them are made up 5% of the time. That's right. I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, look, so if I didn't have the management company and I threw it down here, okay, there's up to 40%. Um, you know, maybe I have to cut costs here, maybe do this. Like, I, I love these guys that are like, oh, well, my profitability is 50%. Okay, well, how much actually went into your bank account? Okay, right. how, how much? It, and, and there are practices, like, don't get me wrong, there are those outliers that do it. I want to see how you scale that. Okay. I, I actually have seen a practice that ran a 30% overhead, but they were taking impressions for crowns with alternate. Oh yeah. So I mean, are you gonna are you gonna really compromise the quality of your of your work to uh, to to split that kind of that's, hey, that's crazy. You know, he he was he was bringing home two hundred thousand dollars in a three hundred thousand dollar practice. Yeah, yeah. That's craziness to me, but I wouldn't do that. So there there yeah. are lines, guys. There's lines. There's it's at the end of the day, you have to ultimately determine what kind of practice you want, right? I mean, this Absolutely. is this is kind of so what what is it that we want? What what do we want to be able to do? I tell you what, right now, if you get your profit, your net operating income, or your EBITDA, or whatever terminology you want to use, you get it up to the twenty percent mark. Yeah, you're going to get the attention of a lot of DSOs. I, I had DSOs, um, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, fine, you have that option. I had DSOs, even though you were kind of our own little smaller DSO. I had DSOs contacting me probably twice a quarter. Hey, you know, are you, you want to sell to us? You want to do this? Because they knew the numbers that we were working with. They knew right. the profitability that, that we were doing. They knew the systems that we had in place. You get that up to the 20% mark, all of a sudden you, your business is, is, is jumping up there. You know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people that say, okay, you know, what, what will a DSO pay for my practice? Okay, well, there's, there's no way to answer that question because number one, what do your P&Ls really tell you? Okay. I mean, I have a guy that, you know, one guy that I was helping him evaluate his business. He's like, oh, you know, I've, I've got a 30% uh, EBITDA and, uh, you know, I do it. I went and looked at it. And I'm like, okay, sure. It's nice to say that, you know, people are going to give you a six to 12 times multiple of your EBITDA, which is a bunch of crap. Okay. Right. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Now, unless you have multiple practices and you are truly running like a true, true EBITDA in that, then they will. Okay. Um, but a, a good way of looking at it is if you're running at that 20% or more mark, you're, you're going to be getting close to, you know, 90% to 120% of your, of your top line revenue. You, you really, you really can get that because I've seen it. I've, I've seen it happen several times. It, it happened with us. Um, you know, we ended up getting, uh, I'll, I'll say, you know, a little bit more through there. We ended up getting probably a little bit closer to, uh, um, here, hold on, Doc. I'm trying to. Did that just pop up on my screen there? The chat with us. Yeah, it's okay. That was it. Was a it was a little message to you about what we're going to talk about later. I'll just say it now since it, since you brought it up. Later on, as we yeah. close this um, this episode, uh, which we're getting close to here, I want you to um, actually cover the difference between the buying strategies of DSOs and doctors. Uh, doctors okay. tend to want to buy the fixer upper. And DSOs want a lean, mean, high-performing practice that's well-run. And I think that yeah. there's a disconnect there. And it's something that we should discuss. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, bottom line, I mean, you know, coming back to these P&Ls, and, and I'm going to show you one other thing here, you know, before we do, uh, you know, tap out on this area here, is I'm going to show you this other practice that wasn't doing as good that we ended up purchasing. Um, right. But this, 
you got to get these things in line. You got to be able to get them there because, you know, as you're evaluating your business for growth, if you don't have this margin, I mean, look, we had almost $400,000 in profit that we could invest back into the business. We could pay down debt. We could pay ourselves all, all of these things that, you know, okay, Hey, that's, that's pretty good. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with the, with what that is. Not only do we, you know, am I paying myself partly in management, but I'm able to pay myself out of these kind of things. Right. Okay. You know, great. So let's, let's, let's do this over and over, you know, and then I, I always like to add this last little category here because this is something that I personally wanted to see from our doctor. One, I wanted to know what my EBITDA was, but then I also wanted to know how much depreciation <laughs> I had. I wanted right. to know these other things, you know, of what my true, uh, uh, you know, net income was going to be from there. So um, those are the main areas I looked at. Let me, let me just touch real briefly here, doc, on this here, because I want to go into practice B because this will give you a, a good start contrast of what was actually going on in this other practice. Okay. Fantastic. So I, I picked up this four operatory practice and from the initial looks at it, you know, Hey, you know, above average dental practice in Utah, you know, they were, uh, when, we picked this up halfway throughout the year. He was on track to do about 590,000. We were able to increase him pretty significantly towards the end. And so mm -hmm. he was able to do, uh, you know, some pretty good thing right here. This first one you'll see is this is the AR that we collected for him. I did not buy AR. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's another topic conversation there. Uh, this was his old AR that I collected for his patients. This was a doctor that had owned this practice for 30 years and he was staying on. Okay. I'll tell you this right now. This practice ended up being one of the best learning experiences of my life. It was also one of the worst business decisions I made. Um, Those generally and, go hand in hand. Yes, they do. So they say that uh, ex experience, what, what is it? That, uh, that, Good judgment comes from experience, but experience comes from bad judgment. Yes. Uh, that, that is uh, exactly kind of what happened. Absolutely. Uh, what, what happened here. So, okay. Well, the interesting part was, you know, as we went through here, okay, you'll see the lab fees were pretty low. You'll see the dental supplies were pretty low. Well, come to find out there, this guy was reusing certain things he should have been reusing. Um, and so that was one of the ways that he was able to keep yeah. his dental supplies low throughout the years. Um, which I, I didn't like. So uh, I'm curious. I've heard so many horror stories. Give me the top three things he was reusing that he shouldn't have. Oh, geez, man. Okay. <laughs> do, do I want to say that, say that on here? Um, so one thing that was probably, and I saw this one time, I don't know how many years he had been doing it for. Uh, just so you know, this guy lasted about seven months with this and we ended up getting rid of him. Mm -hmm. um, he would take his gloves, turn them inside out, no, okay. he, he never, but now, now granted he would use them on the, he was using it on the same patient. Okay. He, he wasn't going from operatory to operatory. Right. Okay. But, but he, he would take the gloves off and he would set them down. And, and I know some guys do that, but it's like gloves are gloves. Just throw the damn things away. Right. But you know, that, that was one thing, but he, uh, um, he, those micro brushes, he would getting. I, I'm not kidding you. He sterilized them one time. I'm like, how did you sterilize? And, and they would melt and they do it. And he's like, oh, these ones are still okay. And I'm like, okay, this is enough of this. Okay. It, it, it was ridiculous. Wow. I, I don't even want to get into the horror stories that probably happened for the last 30 years. And you know, the crazy thing is, is I should have done more due diligence on this practice. Right. Okay. I, I should have, should have done more due diligence, you know, because I was looking at the numbers and I'm like, Hey, great. You know, these are things, 
you know, I saw his lab fees that were here. Mm. Um, he had a Sarek machine that was in his office. So that was one of the reasons why his lab costs were down so much uh, through there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I looked at this and I'm like, Oh, this is fantastic. <clears throat> I didn't realize the amount of crap work he was putting out there that you were going to have to fix later, which I ended up doing. I ended up doing in one month alone by myself, about $160,000 worth of free dental to, uh, to, to make patients happy. Um, and now before it, anyone gets on you about that, first of all, your, your strategy did pay off in the long run in huge dividends, right? But it, it, did. it did. those kinds of things, especially whenever you're taking over a practice, build trust. Yes. They absolutely so, did. Well, and, and, and you have to make it right. Yeah. You, you have yeah. to make it right for, for your community. You have to, there, there's a sense of ownership, you know, did, did this, uh, did it end up turning into a little bit of a lawsuit and issues like that with the doctor? It did. Yeah. It, it was, it was a complete nightmare. Um, did we get compensated? No, I just lost time and sleep. Okay. But did I get compensated on the, on the, on the eventual end? Yes, I did. Um, and so stomach I, lining. It, you know, that's, that's no, no big deal. Yeah. But, but I tell you what it, uh, um, at the end of the day, you got to do what's right. Okay? Absolutely. This is, this is your business that you bought. This is your obligation to your community. These are your obligations to your patient and, and it's your obligation to make it right. And so you just, you bite the bullet and you just do it and you know, you learn from it and you don't repeat the same mistakes. Okay. It's so, easy to do the right thing while nobody, while everybody's watching. It's the people yeah. who do the right thing while nobody's watching. Those are the real winners. Yeah. You, you, you've got to do it. You've got to do it here. So, you know, right here, the assistance, things like that, um, you know, not bad. I mean, they, they were okay through there. This, this 22%, uh, wasn't bad. He, they, um, you know, the office manager had been there for like six years or something. Uh, their hygienist really wasn't producing what she was worth. And so, you know, I looked more into these costs just, just to see if there's any ways that we could improve this number. I mean, don't get me wrong. This number was fantastic, but again, I, I looked more into this number because I'm like, okay, yeah, it's in line with it is, could, could we even get better? Could we get down to what that other practice was doing? Um, you know, the thing that concerned me was right here. See this 26% right here. Mm-hmm. This doctor and I went into an agreement because he had been there for 30 years that I was going to pay him a little bit higher percentage. I had no problem with that. Okay. Until he stopped producing. <laughs> okay. Right, and right. so we paid him, see this continuing education uh, right through here. Yeah. I was this, wondering this, about that number. That's a little bit bigger than we talked about earlier. Okay. Well, th- this, this is, this is an interesting part here. Okay. So what we did here is with this doctor, I sent him to, this $15,000 implant course. Okay. And I paid him through the continuing education rather than through salary that year. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we had another doctor that came in after I got rid of this doctor that I put through the same course. that was 10,000. And again, just a a strategic play of, of of writing some things off uh, through there. But this, uh, this doctor, uh, again, I, I jumped in, there was a month and a half, almost two full months of a doctor not making anything, i.e. me. Um, and uh, it was just a bullet that we had to bite. But 26%, this this is almost 7% too high, 6.6%, you know, too high for what was actually produced, okay? Um, you know, rent was a little high in this area, but it, it kind of commanded it in that area. Unfortunately, we did not own this practice. Um, 
And real, real quick note, um, Joe, sorry about that. Um, on your continuing education, you sent the first doctor the first time it was 15,000. The second doctor you sent, it was 10,000. Did you negotiate a lower rate because you had sent repeat clients? I, I actually did. I actually sent a lot other of doctors. don't think to do that. that that's the first yeah. thing I caught there. Uh, you've got yeah. to do that, guys. If, if you're sending multiple associates or multiple team members through sent things, everything is negotiable. Everything. Every, Talk to them. Everything. Come down the price. Supplies, CE, rent. I mean, it, there's there's no reason. Here's the thing: you're never going to get it unless you ask. And I'm not saying to be a cheap master exactly. or anything. You know, just it's it's one of those things. Like if we're providing value to their business, you know, we should be able to negotiate a little bit. I mean, if I'm sending you know ten clients, uh, you know, to a certain area, it, there's, right. there's got to be a group discount, right? <laughs> you know, so and I've even seen people, and I'm gonna you know. You know what? Actually, I am going to say it on here. Okay, I probably shouldn't. Okay, but um, there's some companies out there that are non-negotiable. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm debating whether to name them right here, uh, Doc. And so I'm, I'm Delta gonna... and people like that, or yeah. Here's the thing: if you're doing a higher volume, everything is negotiable. Yep. Okay. The only actually the only company I haven't found is negotiable is Apple. <laughs> That's the only company I haven't found. But then again, I'm I am nowhere on their radar. I am nowhere that you know they, they don't need to. Um, but a lot of these metrics tracking companies, mm -hmm. uh, they are negotiable. I know they say that they're not, but they are. Um, Dental Intel is a negotiable company. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so, I can tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. In yeah. fact, there's some great deals on Dental Intel on. Yeah. But um <laughs> sorry to pull so, you off track there, but I thought that was something that people should think about is that one of the ways to lower your costs is to actually ask for discounts. And a good rule of thumb, guys, and because I've as you guys know, I do a, a fair amount of negotiations. If you wouldn't feel scummy if someone asked you for the discount, it's probably safe for you to ask them for the discount. Yeah. You know? and it's, again, it's not being, uh, you know, cheap about it or anything. It's just, okay, what's, what's the, what's the real value of it? You know, can you, can you, cause I'm a big believer and we're going to talk about this a little bit later. I'm a big believer in, you know, treating your vendors like employees. You got to pay them. You got to pay them for the value that they're bringing. And if you're bringing value to them too, it, it should be negotiable. I, I negotiated with our labs all the time. I mean, we got down our, our lab costs just because we were doing such a high volume with them. I mean, we were, we were down to 59 and $69 a, a unit and yep. quality, awesome work, local lab here, just, just down the street. And they, they were fantastic. We always paid them on time. We always took care of them. Uh, you know, we provided them with a lot of volume. And so, you know, we were able to negotiate those things. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's good. But, you know, here, let me, let me come back to this here. We weren't able to take as much of a management uh, fee on this just because the, uh, the business couldn't uh, do it. Um, Right. But you can see the, the lower net operating income here. You know, I mean, it, we were still able to get it at 8%. I think uh, when I first purchased this practice, the guy told me, and I naively believed it until I started diving into it more, that they had a 25% uh, net operating income. He showed it to me on his P&L. And, uh, you know, as we dove more into it and actually allocated things where they were supposed to, actually looked at this stuff, I... It, it, it was just a mess, but th this was the first year and I'll show you kind of how we were able to change it. Uh, you know, the 12 months after that, uh, in, in our next conversation here that, uh, that ended up working pretty, pretty good, but you know, depreciation that happened, everything through there, I'd appreciate it a ton. You know, it's, it's nice to be able to show a loss, uh, by, you know, 
depreciating some equipment uh, a little bit quicker, you know, mm-hmm. you got your amortization of the, you know, of your loan and all those things that uh, happen. That other practice that I showed you before was actually, we didn't have a practice loan on it. It was uh, free and clear. We had some equipment, uh, uh, you know, purchases on there, right. but yeah, all, all of those things. So, so two very different practices. Um, again, just to stress what I'm looking at here, supplies, labs, keep that under 13%. Labor, if, if you're keeping it under 25, you're probably gonna be fine, but I like to go 22 and under. You know, facilities, you wanna be, you know, in rent, max 10, but preferably right around the 7% mark or less. Um, you know, look at paying yourself as a management company for a taxation strategy. Uh, advertising and marketing, I would say keep probably right in that five to 10% mark. If you, as you said, if you're a fee for service, it's probably gonna be a little bit higher. Um, and, and, and that's okay. I mean, we, you know, to come back to your point about the difference between fee for service and uh, PPO doc, we were writing off roughly about 20% of our fees, to be honest with you. And so, that, <laughs> so that's just, that's, that's I know. It and, and honestly, that's not so bad compared to some I've seen. I, I've, um, I've seen some as high as 40%. It's, it's crazy. I, you know, and you know what we're talking about negotiations. We negotiated with the insurance companies. The same dental insurance that we accepted in our practice down the street, guy that took the same insurance, they paid us more. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, everything is negotiable. And it's literally as simple as giving the guys a call saying, hey, I need a fee increase. This is what we do with you guys. These are how many patients we see. But again, you got to be able to justify, just like an employee comes to you and says, I want to, I want to, you know, a raise what's the value you're bringing to them? So um, I exist. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. You know, can you help me? Well, you know what? No. Time mostly. <laughs> so, so again, uh, P and L's, these are fantastic areas to look at. You need to look at them every single month, you know, give your accountant and your team some time to look at it. You want to be able to make the adjustments pretty quickly. Um, you know, you're going to look more at trends. If one month it goes up a little bit, don't freak out make the adjustment the next month. You know, don't, don't go and stab your assistant in the neck because she overspent her budget. It just means that you have this, maybe some supplies for the next month, but it's things you have to pay attention to every single month, every single quarter, biannually, annually. And then you want to look at how we can improve it for the next year. These are indicators of the healthier practice because this right here is going to determine how your practice gets sold and what it gets sold for. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're doing this. That's, that's and, bottom line, guys. Bottom line is what your practice is worth is determined by your bottom line. It is. It, any business is. Any business is. And so you have to be able to – here's the thing. I was not looking to sell. Selling was not on my radar at all. In fact, I was actually in the process of uh, – I, I had a, a business partner in it. He was another dentist. Um, I was in the process of buying him out. Um, but then a buyer came along and it made sense for both of us to cash out. Uh, mine was a walkaway offer, which was uh, fantastic for me. Um, and, uh, you never know when those opportunities are going to arise. Um, Absolutely. Well, and with his share, did he, um, did he build an official, um, elk skinning room just to you know, right? avoid any future problems? <laughs> yeah. You know, he, I think, I think that was part of the contract that he was able to negotiate. Uh, he was able to keep that in there. So he actually stayed on as an employee in the one practice that he was in uh, just because he, 
you know, he's probably going to work until he's the, you know, in patient's mouth till the day he dies. And that's, you know, good right. for him. I, I love him for it. Great man. Um, but it's just, it just wasn't for me. So you want, you want to position yourself every year. I mean, if, if your practice is not really performing on the level that you want it to, you've got to find out why you've got to dive into your P and L you've got to dive into your balance sheet. You've got to dive into these numbers, see where you can improve. You want to poise it for growth because just like any investment strategy is you want to, you know, buy low, sell high, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's your basic principles. You don't, you don't want to sell when your practice is plateaued or low. You want to sell on, right when you get to that peak of that increase. Absolutely. Or once you get to that peak of that increase, how do you bump it up a little bit more? You know, is it adding some space and equipment? Is it adding some associates? Is it, um, you know, increasing your profitability, all, all of those strategies, because at the end of the day, all of us are eventually going to sell. Right. Every single one of us are, you know, we're either going to sell to an associate. We're going to sell to a family member. We're going to sell to a DSO. It's your job. And I believe it's your moral obligation to run an efficient business because the more efficient you are at running your business, the more people, the more you, can people you can help. Absolutely. So, well said, man. so don't, 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 just take your numbers and throw them to your account and say, Hey, you know what? Um, you take care of this side. Look, you are a business owner. You, you have no choice other than to find time uh, for this. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to stop sharing this here, doc. So we can talk about this here. You know, you're, you have a job to wear many hats. Okay. Not all your hats are going to look as pretty as yours does there, doc right now. Okay. This, I mean, this was actually a gift from a good friend of mine. who's another dentist. I, I love it. My, my, my other hat was ugly. There you go. <laughs> I, I think it's a great hat. I think it's, it's, it's a fantastic one there, but you know, you've got to, you're a business owner. Act like it. I mean, that's, Absolutely. that's all I can say. Okay. And, and if you're, I'm not saying you have to. It's your it, job to be the adult in the room and say no candy before bedtime. You're right. <laughs> that's right. So, and that's, uh, you got, you got to do it. I think that was on your post this morning, right? Yeah, it was on my post. So guys, I want, I want Joe to give me a little insight into one more thing, just one pearl before we leave you. And again, this is going to be a multi-part series as he goes over different types of documentation, data types in the office, and, and just kind of runs through his thought processes on how to use that data appropriately and, and use it to grow your practice. Uh, I want you to address something that to me is a, is a huge 800 pound gorilla in the room. And that is, when a dentist builds a business, most times that they, they do this, they're thinking about building a job. They don't think about building a business. And a business is built to be eventually sold and is built to be profitable. So I think that's one disconnect. But I think that that disconnect results in a behavior that I think is particularly harmful to dentists as business owners. And that is their buying habits whenever it comes to looking at a practice. Now, I, I shared a, a, a chat with you earlier about what I'd like you to talk about do you, do you remember exactly what I said, or would you like me to, to put it back out there? Put it, put it back out there. I think we talked I, about I think one or two things since then. Answering the right thing. So in general, a DSO wants to buy a business that it's highly profitable, streamlined, cutting edge. It's, it's got its margins cut down to razor thin edges. It's, it's got every bit of profitability it can in the practice. That's what a DSO wants to buy. A dentist in general wants to buy a fixer upper because they view that practice as something that they can put their own stamp on and they can 
create value in. Talk to me a little bit about the good and the bad about both of those, those, those kind of perspectives as a buying dentist or as a buying group practice owner. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's, there's a couple things that you touched on then, uh, you know, DSOs, I mean, they're opportunists, right? You know, they, they want practices that they can come in and it's just going to spit off some cash for them. Right. Okay. Um, you know, they're not looking, it's, uh, you know, it's not the equipment sides of things. It's not, you know, I mean, they, they've got enough money in their pocketbooks that they're going to throw some money to pay off equipment. That's not, that's not it. They're, they're looking at EBITDA, you know, which EBITDA is really only as good as, you know, the, the numbers person. that go into the PL. <laughs> but, but they really, you know, they're going to be buying people. Okay. Right. They, they want to look at the people behind the processes that produce those results. Um, and you know, a fixer upper there's, you know, like that, that you touched upon, um, you know, DSOs will go into those practices and they're like, well, look, do we have to get a new doctor in here? Do we have to, you know, spend a lot of money to, um, you know, on team and things like that. They're looking for a time value of things right? and they want to know what kind of commitment, what kind of management systems they're going to have to put in play, what kind of things like that. Whereas, you know, Dennis like fixer uppers aren't bad to an extent, but they're a fixer upper for a reason. There's right. some broken things in there. Okay. Now I've scratch started a couple practices. I've, I've bought some fixer uppers and, and I'll tell you what, I hands down, I'd rather do a scratch start from now on. Okay. Now, scratch starts, yeah. Now scratch starts are tough because you're probably not, I mean, if it's your first one, you know, and, and I don't know about you, Doc. I mean, you, you had a great experience on yours. If, 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 you, if you're the sole income earner, things like that, you know, you're probably going to struggle for a good year and a half. Absolutely. Two, you know, yeah. I mean, like that's just, that's just how it is. Um, you know, this, this, the scratch starts that I did, Doc, were actually supplemented by the other practices. And you, you'll actually see that uh, in, in the uh, in subsequent uh, uh, podcasts here. Right. Um, but I think we underestimate the value of our time. Okay. I, the most, I I like to live by this quote, you know, I mean, the most intentional always wins. Okay. They, 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 they always do. And so if you're going to buy a fixer upper, I'm I'm not saying not to do it, but you better understand why that's a fixer upper. You better understand what's broken, what you're going to go in. You better negotiate on the price. Okay. And, and, and realize that, Hey, there's going to be a lot of time, energy, and money spent on getting that to the level that you need to get it to. Right. You know, is it nice having a patient base? Of course, of course. But you're buying a fixer up or you may be buying hundreds of thousands of dollars of rework in those patients. You know, are you doing your due diligence on that fixer up or, you know, are you going and looking at x-rays more than you should? Are you looking at like the staff and, oh, it's great. I've got this great team. They've been there for 20 years. Well, they've probably been doing it wrong for 20 years. Okay. If they're doing it right, it's going to be spitting out all sorts of money. Okay. Now at the same time, there's this group of doctors that are looking for, um, they're looking for that magical million dollar practice that is spitting off the 20%, 30%. Okay. Well, you're in competition with some DSOs there and, and you may be able to do that. You may be able to pretty much everyone else who wants to buy a practice. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we had, when, when I sold off uh, the eight practices, it was to three different buyers. It, it wasn't to just one, one buyer bought four of them. He wanted five of them. 
Uh, the doctor, I, I ended up selling to some of the other doctors that, that worked for me. They had to buy it at the same price the DSO was willing to buy. Um, and uh, Because you know, that they, was a business decision. Yeah, that was a business decision. You know, but you at know the same time, that from some doctors by them saying, "Oh, you should show should shouldn't require dentists to buy for the same price as the DSL." Come on, guys, are you serious? This is a business. You're, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna sell it at the highest bidder. Okay, yeah. I mean, like this, it's uh, I, I love my team dearly. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I knew I was gonna be walking away. I put them in the best position that I possibly could. Uh, I provided a great experience and a, and a great place of employment for many years. Um, but again, you know, doctors, to make sure the business kept rolling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, com coming back to your question of, of DSO wanting to buy some things versus a, uh, you know, buying a fixer upper, you know, it, everybody's different. It's, it's one of those things that if you have the skills and you're intentional enough and you and you're, are willing to put in the time, energy, effort, money, everything that goes into growing it, could you do it? Yeah. Yeah, you can. But you're not just being a technician in that practice. Right. Okay. You know, it comes back to the email. You're, you're a manager, you're an entrepreneur, you're, entrepreneur. you're a marketer. You're it's wearing hard to wear three hats at the same time, people. Yeah. It's damn near impossible. Yeah. And you're, you're going to be doing that with startups. You're going to be doing those kind of things. Um, and, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with selling to a DSO in my opinion. I know, I know there's a, a big group out there that's very anti DSO to right. want to stick it to them. Well, you know, honestly, what's wrong with, uh, you know, working for a company? Cause there's some good ones out there. There really are. What's wrong with working for a company that has some great systems that'll continue to let you work in your practice? And you're already a slave to your job. Might as well be a slave to somebody else. <laughs> Not that you even have to be a slave, right? It's uh, I'd, 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 I'd say this. Um, most accurately, I think that the diatribe against DSOs can be summed up like this. Damn you for being better at business than I am. <laughs> right? Yeah. Mr. Magoo, go, go back to what you're doing or yeah. learn to compete. This, because that's, that's the name of the game these days. Yeah, they're, they're going to be here. DSOs are going to be here. Uh, I think uh, group dentistry is going to come. You, you've got to be, we've got to stop thinking that we know the answers to everything. We've got to stop believing that somebody can't do it better than us. Like we did a great job in our offices. I, I have no problems with what we did. I, I, I love everybody that uh, worked for me. I love everything that it, that it was about. And people, I, I always have stuff to learn. I mean, look, I, I, share, I share what we did in, in our clinics because I'm like, look, here, here's how we did it. It worked for us. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, great. I, I don't care. But I know there's practices that do better than me. I'd, lo I'd love to learn from them. I'd love to learn how they did it. Um, and so. But here's the thing, though. How many people out there not only want to learn, how the guy who's doing it better is doing it, but are also willing to share what's under their hood. And that's, I think one of the most compelling things about you is that you've said, look, I've fucked some things up. Look, here's this practice I shouldn't have bought. Here's what I learned from it. And yeah. there, there's no more authentic thing than someone who has gotten to a point where they are successful looking back and not giving it as a bed of roses, but giving us a, a realistic story of, Hey, here's where I messed up. Here's where I yeah. succeeded, you know, and maybe that'll work for you, but here's where I messed up. Don't do this. Yeah. I, I could tell you every single wrong thing you shouldn't do in a practice. I guarantee I can. Done every damn one of them. Yeah. I've, I've 
hired the wrong person. I've, I've been in the wrong lawsuit. I've been in the wrong, you know, ends of things. I've, I've had the wrong contract. I've uh, negotiated poorly. I've signed a, you know, you, you name it. I've done it wrong. I've signed up for the wrong insurance. Um, but the question is though, you know, do you have the guts to make it right? Okay. Do you Are have you the guts to admit that you're the one who's at fault? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's all of that. 100% was my fault. I was right. the one that entered into those negotiations. I was the one that bought that practice. I was the one that signed up for, for this insurance. I was the one that hired this employee. Like I, I did all of those things. Okay. Now were a lot of those people at fault for certain things, of course, yeah. you know, but I was very intentional and I corrected quickly because I was paying attention to my business. Okay. It's how intentional you are about making your business the best that you possibly can. Absolutely. Okay. I, you know, I, I get guys ask me all the time, you know, Oh, will you come, uh, you know, will you come consult for me? Will you come help this? And, and I'm like, there's nothing magic. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, I'll help you out here. Okay. You, you, you know, you, you can pay me for it here, but this is where I'm going to tell you to do. Are you going to do it? And they're like, well, that, that seems a little tough to do. And I'm like, you're wasting your money on me. Then. Like, no, like, no, <laughs> that's, that's actually something I was going to, I was going to say earlier, but I, I didn't, uh, but this is a perfect segue to it that you're talking about assessing your business. And if you're plateauing, you know, why are you plateauing? Can you still grow? And, you know, like for my own practice, I work three days a week. I like working three days a week. Could I open perfect. seven days a week? If I was open seven days a week, I would finally be maxed out there. But then I could expand the size of my practice. If I expanded the size of my practice, I could bring on more auxiliaries and more doctors. And if I, you say it, it is, there's no real end to it. It's just, yeah. what are you willing to do? And if you're not willing Absolutely. to do it, then you are finished. Yeah. You know? Well, Doc, here's, here's how anybody out there, whether you implement them or not, this is how you can maximize your practice. Go for it. Okay. Last pearl on this podcast, because I'm sure someday you're going to run out of them. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know what? It, there's, there's, there's plenty to learn from everybody. I'm sure I'll gather more pearls along the way, and, and I'm happy to share them with it with everybody. But okay, so people are like, oh, I, you know, I work Monday through Thursday, nine to five. Okay, so there's really no magic to making more money in your practice. You can expand hours, you can expand days, you can expand services, you can expand the patients. You're going to hire more people. You can move buildings and grow that business. Right. You can buy another office if you wanted to. You could actually even look at implementing other avenues into your uh, business. Okay. We started a dental assistant school. Okay. And I know people like have talked, oh, those are the stupidest ideas and everything. That's fine. I, I walked away with $150,000 of cash every single year that I invested into my dental practice from a dental assisting school that I literally had no like obligation to, I mean, other than my name was on it. And so it's just really, what are you willing to do? What do you want to do? Do you want to bring on associates? Okay. Cause here's the thing. Inevitably you're going to plateau. Even when you bring on associates, you're going to plateau. Okay. So what do you want to do? What do you, where do you want to take that practice? And you know, don't just think that hiring an associate is going to like all of a sudden free up your time. No, it's going to increase your time. I'm going to tell you that right now. It is if you do it right, it is absolutely going to increase your time and uh, yeah, for, for what it's worth. So expansion of services, time and days and, and, and physical space of your building. Those are the, the easiest thing to do is expand your physical space. That's the easiest thing because you just have to buy equipment. But when you start adding people to the mix, get that nice new hat on because 
you're you're becoming much much more than your technician dentist at that point so absolutely and and before you begin expanding space and and again i am talking out of my realm here to an extent because you have a lot more experience with this than i do but before you begin expanding your your space your physical space really make sure you're using 100% of your physical plant because yeah. if your office is not open on Saturdays and your office is not open on Sundays, again, it comes down to a willingness, mm -hmm. but that's a cheap fix. You can just get more team to work those days and yeah. get an associate to work those days. It, you, you need to use what you have at its maximum capacity. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of times we don't do that. Yeah. I think uh, there was, uh, this is one statistic that I did see and, and correct me if I'm wrong, doc, and maybe, maybe you can do it. So, per operatory okay you know per month you're going to be doing in the in the range of 20,000 to 40,000 an operatory right okay i know that's a big range okay um depending on if you're a fee for service depending on if you're a ppo depending on what you what you're doing okay at apex we were right around the 20 to 25,000 okay. okay um and so you know for operatory practice you're doing 80,000 a month you know you're you're just shy of a million dollar practice there you know i think a million dollar practice was it 83,333333 per month is a million dollar practice. So can you get over 20,000 per operatory? Okay. Yeah. If you're not doing 20,000 per operatory, something is definitely broken in your systems. Don't, don't expand. Something is broken in your internal systems, your case accepted. Yeah. So the, there, there's something there that, because you can, you're, you're going to expand, but you're increasing your overhead. You're hiring more staff and your systems are still broken. Fix what's going on first. And, and, and I think people don't recognize that. They're like, oh, I, I, I bought two more operatories and my practice went up this much. And I'm like, yeah, but you're still only doing 12 or 15,000 an operatory. Right. You know, and so it, it, I hope that makes sense. And, you know, I, well, can, it, I, I think that we need to have like a, um, a, a, a joint treatment plan acceptance podcast. Yeah. Yeah, this is a whole cell strategy in itself. So, but uh, people ask me all the time, they say, well, how do you produce what you produce out of three ops in three days mm -hmm. a week? And my answer in general is I didn't know any better. If I had yeah. to go back and do it, I'd have built a five op practice. It would have been so much easier. Yeah. But, yeah. Five, five op, I think is the, the minimum that I would look for ever again is five op because, you know, two treatment rooms for you, maybe two hygiene rooms and then an overflow room absolutely. just to, uh, uh, you know, you're running behind on something, a larger case, maybe somebody's temporary pops off and anything that, you know, that you can think of that happens. I stick those suckers in my consult room unless I'm consulting. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But hey, low, lowest price operatory I have is my consult room. All right. Go. <laughs> or is it your highest price? Is that where you sell your biggest cases? Well, no, no. Lowest price. Lowest price oh. as in cost for me. Lowest price. Gotcha. But where I sell my biggest base cases. Absolutely. Uh, there's there's something to be said for leaving a patient there with a bunch of denture models that all have different types of attachment systems. And yep. you see them like trying to take off the hybrid and like you walk and say, yep. hey, like that, huh? How do you like to have a denture that doesn't come out like that? That's funny. Uh, all right, brother. Listen, it's been a great two hours. We might be, we might be having six, uh, we might be having six different podcasts here or something, you know, no before doubt. you guys go. We'll, we'll just we'll just put a, a long version next to it, and um, I think that we'll also do one podcast where I shut up and you just bullet point, 
and go, these should be your percentages, bum, 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 bum. These are what these terms mean, bum, 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 bum. And then we'll cover everything that we've covered in the other three. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. And that's, you know, probably 90% of our audience here is fact finders. And so, you know, if there's other questions after this, I mean, I, I don't know if you have like a little comment sections after, ask questions. We, you know, we can always answer these on, on subsequent things because there, there's going to be a lot of questions that come from these things. And, you know, a lot of people may just think that I'm full of shit and that's okay too. <laughs> you know? well, so. you know. well, guys, uh, thank you again for wasting another two hours listening to the sound of my voice. And uh, thank you for supporting the Deer Doc podcast. We'll, uh, we'll see you again soon. Yeah. And Joe, Thanks, thank you for your time. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Deer Doc podcast your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Deer Doc Podcast on all major platforms.